Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. They say, that's wrong. You can't. It's got to show up. God is love. And God creates out of love. He redeems out of love. And he looked it up and he said, you're right. It doesn't occur till Abraham takes and is asked to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, whom he loves. That's the first time it shows up. And as you know, the Abraham-Isaac story is a shadow of the cross to come where God gives up his only son whom he loves, right? He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So law of first occurrences, we have this Greek word for compassion, right? First time it shows up. Chapter 9, verse 35 to 36. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom of healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, notice that if you read the Gospels, you're going to see where it says over and over again that Jesus saw the crowds. See, he sees the crowds, then he gets individual with people. So he sees the crowds. It says he had compassion for them, that deep, inward, driving compassion that says, I understand, that says they're stuck. And watch what it says. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Now, you know, reading the Gospels, we've mentioned it many times that the religious leaders were entrusted by God to shepherd his people, but they failed to do so. And Ezekiel, in the day of Ezekiel, this was going on. The elders were supposed to shepherd the people, and God made a promise, I am going to shepherd them myself in Ezekiel. He says that, I'm going to shepherd them myself. Then in another verse in that passage, he says that I'm going to send a shepherd. In other words, he's coming himself to shepherd the people, and he's why. He looked at the crowds, and have you ever done that before? I tend to do that more and more as I get older. I see the news, and before where I didn't pay attention to people, I now see crowds. Like whenever there's a news story in New York City, and you see these multitudes of people on the streets and everything else, and you start to wonder, you know, where are they going? What are they doing? What is their life like? Do they know Christ? Or are they into Buddhists? Are they into the Muslim faith? What, what is their backstory? What is their background? And see, really, when we look at the crowds, we should have a compassion on the crowds of people like Jesus did. Why? Because they're not like you. You may be harassed by Satan, but you have a shepherd now that is leading you. See, we were that sheep. When he looked at the crowds in that day, and he says, man, they have no shepherd. That was us. That was me. I still remember the days I didn't have Jesus as a shepherd. And I had no direction in this life. Have you ever thought of a sheep in the wilderness? When a sheep is in the wilderness, let them try and fend for themselves and they can't. Sheep are dumb. 
<laughs> now that you laughed, I'll go a step further. The Bible says we're sheep. <laughs> but no different than a sheep wandering around in the wilderness looking for water, looking for pasture, looking to survive. That's who we were. And then God fulfills that promise that Jesus would be the good shepherd that would come. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what he did for us. Then all of a sudden, now you've got a true shepherd that's leading you through this life. You've got a true shepherd that's leading you through the wilderness of this world. And this world is a wilderness. I don't care what anybody says. It's filled with landmines. It's filled with cliffs. It's filled with all kinds of unsafe things for humanity. And you got people now that are helpless. They're looking for direction. They're not finding it from their leaders. The elected leaders that are supposed to be shepherds somewhat of this country have Failed. The government has failed in its primary responsibility. The primary, according to Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, is to bear the sword to keep evil in check. And it has failed at that first and foremost responsibility. But what you look at is, man, a people that is lost. Looking, where do they turn? And Jesus is the good shepherd, the Bible says. And God knows how to take care of his his sheep. That's why if you don't know Christ, you need to come to Jesus. I'm telling you, it is a game changer. Everyone here who's come to Jesus would tell you he's the game changer in their life. So Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40 describes the shepherding of God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. Isn't that beautiful? He will carry them in his bosom. And you have to see the shepherding of the Middle East. You don't see this here, but you do in the Middle East when you're traveling around Israel. You may see a shepherd carrying a little lamb in his arms, just off the mountainside. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, gather lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So first and foremost, Jesus sees the crowds and he sees that they're harassed. They're without a shepherd. And what does it say? He was moved with compassion. And the only time you're going to find this word is when Jesus uses it or it's used of him. Now turn to chapter 14 because we got some territory to cover this morning as we look at this. Chapter 14, I want you to see this. Jesus is going to feed 5,000 now, 5,000 people. There's a miracle that takes place here. There's actually a couple different miracles where he feeds thousands of people. This one's the 5,000 men. There's women and children. And watch this. This is very interesting. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went to shore, saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. He had compassion. That's that word, splonknizomai, splonknizomai, on them and healed their sick. Now, look at this. 
This is interesting to me because before he feeds the thousands, it says he has compassion on them and he heals them. He heals them. That's why I tell people, man, if you're struggling with sickness or an illness, come to Jesus. Don't just give up throwing the towel and walk away as if that's the way it's always going to be. I'm one for believing and buffing up people's faith, no matter how serious the sickness may be, that I know Jesus has compassion on that person and he just may heal them. If not, and they know Jesus, their ultimate healing comes in heaven. Like Paul said, man, Paul says, I struggle whether to stay here and to be with you or to depart and be with the Lord, which is far better. That's what he says. So either way, we win, right? So here we go. He's healing people. And I want you to notice something. When he has compassion on them and he heals their sick, look what it says in verse 15. Now when it was evening, Jesus always worked all day long. You see in Capernaum in Mark's Gospel chapter 1, Jesus did not leave until his ministry was through for that day. It didn't matter how long it took. didn't matter how long he was there. He was going to finish what he started, and he always did. There was no such thing as the office closed with Jesus. So, so he works till evening. You know, we just went through four days of training. We brought a guy in named Mickey Stonier. He's got a PhD, a strong Christian guy, and he trains chaplains, he trains people for crisis intervention. And we had him a few years here at the church, and Chris decided we need to bring him back and we'll open it up to other people. So we had a couple law enforcement there, and we had other people that showed up, pastors, a couple different pastors from other churches came, and they were blessed through it. And what was intriguing to the last two days, Thursday and Friday, was all on chaplain training. It was all pastoral crisis intervention. It wasn't just crisis intervention, but pastoral crisis intervention. He said something interesting to me, to the crowd that he was teaching. He said that, and this was towards the end of the day, there's something called compassion weariness or compassion fatigue is what he called it, compassion fatigue. And he said, there are so many people today, young pastors that are departing the ministry because of compassion fatigue. In other words, that they give out so much to other people that they get so fatigued that they all of a sudden develop a hardened heart. You know, it just happens. They're always giving out, giving, giving, giving. And now today, you've got a departure of many young pastors that are leaving the ministry after just a few years. What got them into ministry? Well, compassion did. They looked at people and they said, man, I want to minister to that person. And I want to help them. And he went on to say that, You have to take care of yourself. He went into self-care, and I started thinking about Jesus. Even Jesus, when he was ministering, he would minister all day long, and you're like, man, that guy had to be drained. Jesus just literally exhausted, because we've had days like that before, especially during the COVID situation. We just felt like, man, you go home and just want to unwind. You just want to, you don't even want to talk to anybody. It's like burnout almost, but you have to take care of yourself, and Jesus did that. He, in his humanity, retreated to desolate places, and he had communion with his Father in heaven, and he would keep rolling. He would keep rolling. So here he's ministering even into the evening. Why? 
the driving force for Jesus was the compassion of people. Many were sick, but even then, after he like laying hands on people and praying all day for now, you're going to do a miracle and take a few fishes and a few loaves. You're going to turn them in to feed thousands. Look at chapter 15 now. I want you to turn there, Matthew 15. And we want to look at this one because here this word comes up again. Look at verses 32 to 34. It's going to feed some more people. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd. There's that word. So only used of Jesus again or when he's telling a story about God. There's a couple times, and I'll show you those. I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am willing, unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? I think Jesus, you know, ends up in these desolate places where there's no 7-Eleven, no Circle K, none of that around. And, you know, there's no possible way that anyone could find food, and he just does a miracle. Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. Now, there's two different miraculous feedings. One is with five loaves and two fish. This one happens to be seven loaves and a few small fish. But he says, I have compassion on the crowd. There's that word again. Splanknizomai. Jesus takes seven loaves and a few small fish and feeds 4,000 people on this one. Mark tells us the number of people. If you go into Mark's gospel, you find the same thing happening, and Mark gives you the number. 4,000 people with that little bit. And see, sometimes we think that we don't have the resources to minister to people. We think like, man, I'm not like him or I'm not like her and I don't have the finances they have and I don't have this or that. And we continually make these excuses when Jesus is good at taking very little and turning it into a lot. What do you have to offer Jesus today? Some of you are going to have more than seven loaves and a few small fish. But whatever you have, Jesus wants you to bring it to the table and watch him work. All right? That's how he does miracles all the time. God's into making sure that people understand it came from him and nobody else. But often we come to church and we hear, hey, man, children's ministry needs people. They need workers over in nursery and all this stuff. And we're like, I'm not cut out for that. I'm not cut out for this. Let me ask, what are you cut out for? You know, you can send me an email and tell me what you're cut out for. What I'm saying is this. You know, even like New Creations, what started New Creations was I was in the depth of my drug addiction and nothing saved me. No secular programs or anything else. And someone brought Jesus to me. And when I came back to the valley, all I did was bring Jesus to a bunch of people. And I didn't have any training. I mean, what do you put on your resume? Yeah, at 14, I started doing cocaine. By the time I was 28, I was hooked on heroin. My resume would not have fit. But it doesn't matter. God does the miraculous with whatever we bring to the table. 
whatever we bring to the table. It doesn't have to be hardly anything. Give him the room to work so that no one can point to anything but Jesus on it. Amen? Now turn to Matthew 18. I want to show you this because this is a parable of the unforgiving servant. And this word pops up again, but Jesus uses it in a parable trying to highlight our necessity to forgive others. All right? Watch this. Look at verse 21. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How many is seven times? Now, if I was Jesus, I would be thinking right away, man, I bet Peter's in a little scuffle again with somebody. Peter was always like jumping the gun and things like that. And maybe there was some internal conflict going on and they've heard Jesus teach on forgiveness and they're like, uh, you know, nonchalantly, how many times do I need to forgive? Well, then he says this. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, you keep forgiving. It was an idiom. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. Now I want you to notice this. A king, this Jesus speaking, who wished to settle accounts with his servant. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, which he can do in that day, with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And see this term in the ESV, it says, and out of pity, out of pity, that's the Greek word splunk, nizomai. It should be really, the more accurate translation would be compassion. Okay? And out of compassion for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, if you know, if you've been in a storytelling session before somebody's telling you a story, and as they're telling you the story, you're starting to think, man, you're making connecting dots because you're like, that could have been me, or that was me, or this and that. So he says, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, seizing him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you, and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, here's the key, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Who's the king in the picture? It's God. The amount of forgiveness you receive from God should release us from holding anything against anybody, any grudge, anything else, because the debt that's owed to you from somebody else's offense is nothing compared to the magnitude of what God forgave you of. 
But I want you to see something. The only time that word is used is right there in verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master, God's compassion, God's compassion. So we now see it playing out in our own life that our forgiveness was driven by his compassion. Should we not have that kind of compassion on other people? Sometimes the church is the messiest place in the world, friends. Some of the stuff I hear about so-and-so said this about so-and-so, and they march off. I think sometimes God thinks, you know, he doesn't have a church. He's got a preschool or a kindergarten class. And yet we don't see what God has given us and what he's forgiven us of. And we take one offense and we march off rather than pursue reconciliation as the scriptures tell us. Turn to Matthew 20. It's right probably one page over. Jesus is going to heal two blind men. Look at verse 29. And this they went out of Jericho. A great crowd followed him. Verse 29, verse 30. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, there's that Greek word, splanknizomai, always used of Jesus or something he's relating about the Father with the exception of one case I'm going to show you in a minute. Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Think about what we've led up to now, the compassion of God in the forgiveness of our sins, in healings that take place. God, I was that person. You were that person. We were spiritually blind. Sometimes we want to see a miraculous healing, a blind person, and that happens like I shared last week in a story But what about our spiritual blindness? That is just as big of a miracle to be born again and to have our eyes open to see clearly what God now sees. Totally, totally. So we see this happening over and over by the compassion. Only 11 times you're going to see it in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're not going to see this verb form anywhere else. And we see that Jesus became poor so that you and I would become rich. Isn't that what 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's powerful when we think about it. So we see all of this unfolding, right, in Jesus' ministry I want you to see his model for compassion now. I want you to see his model for compassion. Jesus, if anything, shows us the heart of the Father, right? Sometimes we forget that. What does it look like for the Father's heart? And in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
And yet all through Jesus' ministry, we're seeing the heart of the Father played out because they're working in unison. And the same heart that the Father has is the same heart Jesus has. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.